You know, we're starting a new series today. And as most of you know, I'm, I'm leaving in like two months, you know. Uh, so it's kind of bizarre to start a new series. You know, are, we gonna, are you going to do the whole book of Mark? I'm going to try to get through Mark. Are you going to actually get through the book of Mark? No, I'm not. It's unrealistic. So don't expect that. I don't expect that. But I know it's kind of bizarre, but uh, I wanted to preach one of the Gospels, especially in light of the previous series that we just finished upon Jesus Christ. I hope it kind of opened up your eyes to who Jesus is and maybe give you like a curiosity and a hunger to know and study him more. And because of that, I wanted to study a gospel with you guys. And so I wanted to go through this. And, you know, I especially wanted to preach it because for many of us who might have grown up in the church, for many of us who have been churched for such a long time, sometimes our faith can become the product of a lot of different religious influences. You know, a lot of different religious teachers says, this is what's most important. That's what's most important. This is what's most important about your faith. This is what you need to practice and concentrate on. But what I'd like to do through this series is I'd like to simplify all that, and I'd like to anchor us all in the only one that can actually bring us to God and the only one that can actually bring God to us. And that's Jesus Christ alone, okay? So he's gonna be the highlight of this whole series. And so I chose this book of Mark among all the other gospels for reasons that I will share in a moment. Are you guys ready? Are you guys cool? All right, good. So today what I'd like to do is I wanna start off my message with simplifying, uh, I wanna start off my message with sharing with you uh, the background about the book of Mark a little bit, and then we'll actually get into the verse a little bit more, okay? So let's talk about the background. I want you to imagine that you are part of the first century church in Rome, okay? But Eddie, I don't know how to imagine that because I have no idea what that's like. Okay, so here we go. Here's the here's scene. It's been 30 years since Jesus Christ died and resurrected, and the gospel is spreading, but then all of a sudden, this new emperor comes into power. His name is Nero. And he starts persecuting all the Christians in Rome. If you're a Christian and you found out that you are, you're probably going to die really, really soon. Okay, so can you imagine what the feeling must be like in the city of Rome if you knew that you were a Christian? There's probably a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety, you know. And so you meet on Sunday to worship, but you don't meet in a building like this. You don't meet in public or a public square like they would have in all the other places in Greece and stuff like that, or Turkey or places like that. But you meet underground and you meet in secret. Most of them met in catacombs, right? That's where you like bury people. And those are all underground. So can you imagine sing songs next to a skull, you know, or, or like next to a dead person. That's how they worshipped. And that's what Christianity began to look like for the church in Rome. So it was a pretty intense time. Most of them probably had a friend or maybe even a relative who was a believer who was probably put to death because they were a believer. And then all of a sudden, one Sunday, your pastor comes to church with this new book that has been absolutely approved by all the apostles, Right, signed off by all of them. And it's called the Gospel of Mark. Right? The book of Mark was written specifically to the persecuted church in Rome. So if they were in Rome, they weren't Jewish, were they? They were Gentiles. Right? And they were Greek believers who had no idea what it was like to be a Jew. So it's not written to the Jews. Okay, Their native tongue then is, here's a go, trivia. What language do they speak? Latin, that's right, because everyone was thinking Latin. They, were, they, were, they spoke in Latin. So a huge emphasis in the book of Mark was very simple. All Mark wanted to do, these Gentile believers who had zero background of the Old Testament, who had zero background of Jewish culture, he just wanted to highlight who Jesus was. 
That's it. That was his goal in writing this book of Mark. And so when you read this book, what you realize is that Mark never tells them who Jesus is. He doesn't describe who he is and what he does and what he's all about, right? Uh, descriptions like that operate in the book of Matthew. They, they happen in the book of John. If you read the book of John, you'll always see that John is explaining this is why, because this is who Jesus is and this is what he was all about. He explains it very explicitly. Matthew does that too, but Mark doesn't. Mark takes a very implicit approach to showing people Jesus Christ, and he challenges the reader to actually enter every story and especially the drama of the interactions between people in the stories in order to understand who Jesus is and what he was all about. We did that in the past few times we met, right? Remember, we would talk about a story about Jesus, and we would kind of get into that story together, and it would reveal who Jesus is and what he was all about. That's what Mark was inviting his listeners to, to do. And this is, a, this, this is a big statement, but I'll just say it. Therefore... The person of Jesus Christ in the book of Mark is actually just as important, if not more important, than the content of his teachings. It's huge. He is the centerpiece of this book. So in order to get the most out of what we want to get out of the book of Mark, you need to get into the drama of the story. You just can't listen. You just can't read it. you got to get into the drama of the story to get anything out of this book. But more importantly, you got to get into the stories to truly get Christ. Right? And that was the whole point, that you, get, that you get Jesus Christ. And that's why out of the four Gospels that you have in your New Testament, Mark actually, what Mark actually accomplishes best is showing off the humanness of Jesus Christ. Why? So that you could relate to him. And that you can realize, and you realize how much he actually wants to relate with us, and so that we can resonate with him much more easily. There are actually three characteristics about Jesus Christ that Mark highlights. Number one, they are his divine authority. Number two, his mission as the suffering servant or Messiah. And number three, his divine sonship. Um, you don't need to write those things down. But um, Mark emphasizes these things, these three things, though, so that the persecuted Gentile believers in Rome can fully trust God and make Christ their eternal hope for their lives. Okay? Do you guys understand that? That's the background of the book of Mark. Okay, cool. Um, so today, we're just going to study one verse. And that one verse is actually the main verse. It's the main theme verse of the book of Mark. Okay, so I'm going to read that again. Mark 1.1 says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. If you notice, it's one sentence. It's actually not even a sentence. It's just a phrase. It's not a sentence because there's no verb. I know that's all of your thinking, right? There's no verb, so it can't be a sentence. That's right. Um, so it's more like a statement, isn't it? But this statement says a lot. And all that Mark wants to say is that is what? This whole book is about Jesus Christ, right? And there are three things that about Jesus that he wants us to know right from the start. These are the three things that the whole book of Mark is going to be about. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the gospel. And, Je and Jesus is the Son of God. Those three things, the beginning, the gospel, and the Son of God. And if you understand those three things in its entirety, you're going to understand this whole book. But hopefully, more than that, it's not, about, it's not about understanding the book. Hopefully, if you understand those things about those three things about Jesus Christ, those three things will be enough for you to fall in love with Him and for you to completely trust Him with your life. And that was the whole point of writing 
to these Gentile persecuted believers in Rome about Jesus, okay? So for Mark, one last thing before we begin, this book was never written so that you can obtain more knowledge. But the whole goal of this book was so that you can encounter Christ and realize that he truly is worthy to trust in with our whole lives. That's it, okay? That the Son of God came down to give his life so that we could be fully his and so that we could be his forever. I hope that happens as we go through these stories together. Okay, so let's go over these three characteristics and see what they say, what they have to say about us following after Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the beginning. You know, to me, it takes a lot of um, it takes a lot of courage. I was going to say it takes a lot of balls, but I already said it. There you go. It takes a lot of balls to begin your gospel with basically the same words as the biggest words that can start any book, right? Right? There, there's some key like word phrases that start books. Call me Ishmael. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You know what books they are. But maybe there, maybe there is no opening sentence that is more famous than what? In the beginning. God created the heavens of the earth. That's like the biggest start of any book, period, right? And so if you were going to write a, a, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden you decide to start with the exact same beginning, in the beginning, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Son of God, right? That's huge. You are either like totally full of yourself, thinking that the book that you're about to write is on par with Genesis, or what? Then maybe this book is actually just as significant, if not more significant, than what was written in Genesis. And can, I'll give you a little spoiler. It's the, it's, the, it's the latter, right? And if you never thought about that, the Gospels, if you never thought about Jesus in that way, if you never thought about who he is and what he was all about, and it's that significant, it was that significant, then we need to start changing our minds about Jesus Christ, right? Um, because... The world being created out of nothing, that was a monumental event, right? Heavens and the earth, galaxies being created, like animals and, and plants and oxygen, nitrogen, all this stuff, human beings in relationship with God, that was not only monumental, that's fundamental. It's huge. Foundational. And then all of a sudden, Mark comes along and he says, hey, the Son of God becoming a man to bring the gospel to us is equally monumental. It's equally foundational, possibly even bigger than that creation story. As a matter of fact, what, he's try, what, what Mark is trying to say is, when Jesus Christ came into the world, it was a brand new beginning. Because Jesus Christ came into this world to establish a whole new world for each one of us. And this whole new era now is about how everything's going to be redeemed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through, through what this man is about to do. That's why it's absolutely foundational and monumental. Do you, ever, do you guys ever think about Jesus that way? That it's actually that fundamental, that foundational, that like, oh my goodness. Like, it's bigger even than the creation story. I'll be honest with you, even as a pastor, I never thought of it that way. I just thought that the New Testament was part two of the Bible. Right, that God had this story, and it was great. Israelites, great. Oh, they weren't that good. Okay, well, but don't worry. Jesus Christ came to save the day, part two, and now we got to continue it in our lives. Yeah, I kind of thought of it that way. I'll be very honest with you for a while. But it took me, even though I had these words in front of my eyes all the time, I never realized 
how huge Jesus Christ really was. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to say that about it. That's, that's, you know, that's the honest to goodness truth. But the more and more I study the Bible, the whole Bible itself, I realize, oh my goodness, it really is about Jesus. And if you miss Jesus in the midst of all of it, you miss the whole thing. Because Jesus wasn't just what everything was pointing to. Jesus is everything, right? The world was created by Jesus for Jesus. And therefore, when everything got broken, Jesus was the, was the one that came to fix it all and to bring us all back to him. It's huge, right? So for Mark to write this is appropriate. It's not just monumental or foundational. It's appropriate because Jesus Christ is that huge. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is not only a brand new world on equal footing with creation, the creation story, but it's actually on surpassing footing, if you think of it that way, than the creation story. Anyway... It's so important that we understand this. It's so important that we realize how huge Jesus is. And here's the reason why. The reason why it's so important for you to realize how huge Jesus needs to be, not only needs to be, period, religiously, whatever, Christianity-wise, church-wise, faith-wise, but the reason why he has to be that big in your life is because the quality of our faith will always be limited by the extent of our all. The quality of your faith will always be limited by the extent of your all. The moment you lose your all for Jesus Christ, guess what you become? Religious. Got to go to church today. Got to do good, right? Got to do this right. And you start like, you know, you start measuring things, right? Instead of just loving Christ with all that you have and wanting to do things for his glory, because you're in awe of how awesome and beautiful and loving he is, you become religious. You start judging people. You start telling people what's right and wrong. And you live in that world. And that's what we talked about for the, you know, in our previous series, right? That's where the Pharisees all got it wrong because they lost their all. The quality of your faith will always be limited by the extent of your Because when you're in awe, then you, your life operates by your affections through your faith and through your trust in who he is. Those things become readily God's. I think for many 21st century Christians, that's where the battle really is, and that's why the book of Mark is so great. And so this book really is an invitation to continually encounter the awesomeness of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And that only comes when we what? Get into the story. Get into him. Okay, I think maybe for many of us in this room, as we begin this new series together, as we begin this book together, I think it's a great time for us to press the restart button, maybe within our faith. You know, it's time for us to make a new beginning. And this is what I mean. It's time for us to make a new beginning in terms of our walk with Jesus Christ, right? But this time, don't start your faith out simply because you were dragged to church many years ago by your parents and you, you, have, you, you made good friends here and so you come and yeah, you all believe and you all bought into this Jesus thing and therefore you're gonna keep with it. Don't do that, right? Don't make your faith like that. If it's like that now, change it, make a new beginning, right? Don't do it because your friend told you to go to church and you thought it's pretty cool and you met some good people and there's some nice people there and so why not? I have nothing better to do on Sunday so I'm going to come on Sunday. Maybe that's why you come to church. Maybe that's why you became a Christian. And maybe if you're real with yourself, that's why you still come to church and you're still a Christian, right? Or maybe you came because there's so many good-looking people at our church. 
<laughs> or maybe, or maybe you came because being a Christian is just better. You know, I need a moral anchor. I need something that tells me what's right and wrong, what's better or worse. And Christianity fits the bill. Everything I found out about Jesus and the whole Christianity thing fits the bill. Don't do that. Well, I want to invite you to make a new beginning. Begin with the only one that's worthy enough to be called the beginning, and that's Jesus Christ. Right? Begin with him and make your whole faith about him. Right? And every single day, learn to live in awe of him so that you continually live in awe for the rest of your life. Jesus Christ himself. You know the word beginning um, in, in this context, it actually carries with it the authority of God himself. Did you know that? It's a word that carries authority, the authority of God and all that he is. And to say that Jesus is the beginning means that when you choose to begin your faith with Jesus Christ, you're beginning your faith with the full character and authority of God behind you, right? And that is what will give you the potential to stay in awe of Christ for the rest of your life, okay? That's a great place to begin, wouldn't you say? So the question I want to ask you is, what is your faith really built upon? As we begin this book, what is your faith really built upon? Right? Is it Christ alone, or is it this mixture of all these other influences that aren't bad? But those things won't last. What is your faith built upon? How is your current awe of Christ today? Is he that monumental and foundational to you? If not, let's begin again, and let's begin with the beginning. Number two, Jesus Christ is the gospel. Now, the word gospel means what? Good news, right? Do you guys know that the word, the phrase good news 2,000 years ago was a, not only a military but political uh, vocabulary word? It was used, the word good news was actually used in this context when messengers would bring back good news of military victories, right? That's usually what it was used for. So to say that Jesus Christ is the gospel or is good news is kind of weird because good news is a message, but Jesus is a person. So did Mark get this wrong? And the answer is obviously no. Um, it's actually an amazingly profound statement, and it's extremely significant, especially to believers in our day and age today. And this is why. Mark is saying here that the good news is not simply a set of truths. Right? Or even a set of beliefs. Salvation does not come to those who simply affirm themselves or align themselves with a set of truths or a set of beliefs. That's, that's, what, that's what he's saying that it's not. Salvation comes through a person. And this is what he's declaring. When he says that Jesus Christ is the gospel, he's saying the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation comes through him. Right? Salvation comes to those who believe in him. That's why when John says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in who, what? The set of truths? Whoever believes in these set of facts? No, it's whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you guys see that? So to know the gospel means that you know Jesus personally. It means that you trust him implicitly with your life. To know the gospel means that you walk with Jesus, that you interact with Jesus, and that your life actually serves Jesus, right? Not Christianity, not some kind of, you know, spirituality system, not maybe not even the organization of the church, but Jesus Christ himself. Do you guys get that? 
Because the good news is a person, right? So our faith is all about a person. It's not about good or bad or right or wrong or morals or whatever, whatever, whatever. It's about whether you're really in love with this person, isn't it? Right? And whether you know deep inside your heart whether he's worthy enough to actually give your life to, to trust him with everything that you have. That's faith. And that's what it means, right? So what's great about the book of Mark is that there aren't many explicit facts or truths and beliefs that's spelled out for us. They're not gonna, you're not going to learn that much. Mark wants us to immerse ourselves in this person so that we can discover his heart, discover his mind, discover his philosophies, discover what he's all about, and so that we can truly be convinced that he truly is the Christ, the Messiah, so that we can give our lives to him. And Mark was really intentional about that. He wanted the believers in Rome to bank their whole salvation on Jesus Christ alone, not anything or anyone else. What does that mean for us? It means that when you look at what you're trusting in for salvation, is it really Jesus Christ alone? And it's a big question, especially for like churchgoers who have been churchgoers for a long time. When you think you're going to die, or when you die, where are you going to end up tomorrow if you were to die today? Is it really in heaven? And if so, great, I hope so. Why? What's the reason why you think you're going to get in? Is it because you truly are in awe of this person? Is it because you realize, oh my God, he's like so worthy to love and to give myself to. I can't wait to walk with him and love him and to be loved by him every single day. You know, is his worthiness what causes you to want to be a Christian tomorrow? You know, is his worthiness what causes you to want to go to church next Sunday or to want to go to CG or to want to be a blessing at your workplace, even though it's filled with such tough people? Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's a great time to ask that question as we begin this new series together. You know, um, a lot of churchgoers think that if they just go to church and if they just live a life that's not that bad, surely God's going to see when we get up there, God's going to see that I made the effort, man. I made the effort. I paid my tithe. Did good enough. Didn't do bad. You know? And I went to church. I did the CG thing. Surely God's going to look favorably upon me when I die. Won't he? And a lot of people deep inside their heart, they, they ask questions like that. And it's a very fair question. However, the only problem with that question is um, those things for a basis of salvation is nowhere in the Bible. Those things are not written in Scripture whatsoever, right? When people who think like that are just, it's just good, moral, fair, religious, worldly thinking. Because that's not how it works. That's never how Jesus ever said it was going to work. And that's, how now, that's never how God ever described it work that way. The only thing that matters is if you know Jesus Christ and if you walk with Jesus Christ so much that you trust in Jesus Christ with your life. That's why God gave us the book of Mark, so that we can be convinced that Jesus is worth trusting in and living for. And to me, that's what it means to be saved, okay? If there's anyone in this room who is not sure about where you're going to go, if you were to die today and you're not sure can you please, number one, this is first and foremost, please look at Jesus Christ for the answer. That's it. Read your Bible. That's why the book of Mark was written. That's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, John was written. Different audiences, different audiences with the same goal. So that you'd be convinced that he's worthy to give your life to. Right? Please turn to him first. Secondly, if you're still confused, come talk to me. 
talk to your CG leader, talk to you know, any, any leader, you know, and come talk to us because this is what church is all about. And I don't want you to be confused about it. You may not like the answer we give you, but we'll give you the truth. So please come and talk to us. This is huge, okay? Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only salvation that exists. He is the gospel, and he is the only one that you need, so let's get to know him. Lastly, Jesus is the Son of God. And this is a very easy concept to understand. Uh, there's God. He's got a son. The son's name is Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is the Son of God. Cool? That's it. Okay. But being a son in the Jewish culture was actually very, very significant because sons in the Jewish culture, uh, always, it always meant that you have all the full characteristics of your father. Children were basically extensions of their, their father. Right? Sons were extensions of their father. So you have the exact same characteristics as the father. So when Mark declares that Jesus is the son of God, what he's actually declaring is that Jesus possesses the same characteristics as God the father. So the question then is, who is God? What is he all about? What are his characteristics? And what will we actually see from Jesus Christ himself? And just like we talked about in the previous sermons, the person of Jesus Christ when we read about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the person of Jesus Christ always, always brought about so many surprises, didn't he? Not only to the religious elite, but also to the average Jew and especially to the Gentile. Here are some highlights. You know, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he never, ever lorded, lorded it over anybody. He never, ever, like, pulled that out. He never played that card. But instead, what did he do? Every story you read that he chose to empty himself and he became a servant. Even though he had the authority of heaven, he could call upon a legion of angels to help him. Never played that card as well. But he chose to suffer and he chose to die for our sake. Jesus, what did he do with every story we, we talked about in the previous sermons? He spent his whole earthly ministry doing what? Loving those who were outcasts, the misfits, the, the marginalized of society. While he did what? He chastised those who chose to be religious rather than live a life of love. That's what he did. Shocker. But the climax came at the cross, didn't it? When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died to reconcile who? His enemies to himself. That's crazy. None of us would die for enemies, but he did. That's when the full display of his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his love were put on display. So Jesus Christ, who possessed all the fullness of God, used that fullness to die so that the whole world could experience the whole fullness of God through him. That's crazy. Isn't that amazing? He used being the son of God to die so that all of us could truly know who God is. Only the Son of God could choose to make that happen. That's why it's so amazing that he's the Son of God. You know, when Mark declares that Jesus is the Son of God, he's really declaring that Jesus is the pinnacle. You can't get any higher than him. He is God. But this Son of God humbled himself and emptied himself for us so that we could know God, so that we could be loved by God, so that we could in turn love him as well and have a true relationship with God and serve the Father just as Christ 
did so and does so with his life every single day. And if that's the case, then not only did Jesus die so that we can experience God's fullness, but he died so that we could live out that fullness in our lives for God as well. And if you never thought about it, I say it all the time, but to me that's the real definition of worship. Worship is reflecting God in our lives back to God, right? Living out his character in all that we do for him alone. To be the son of God meant that Jesus embodied all the characteristics of God in his life. And if that's the case, then what does being a child of God mean for us? If being a son of God meant that he reflected all of God's characteristics in his life, then as children of God, shouldn't it mean the same for us? It should. If being God's son to Christ meant that he came for the lost so that they could know God and be loved by God and then love God with all that they have, then if we call ourselves children of God, then shouldn't we have the exact same purpose and mission, right? Jesus being the Son of God is so significant, not only because of what he accomplished for us, but because it defines who we are as well. And it defines who we are to be. And so I hope as we study this book of Mark together, as we study Christ together, that we'll become true children of God, people who worship and love God with all that we have, people who are passionate about living out the character and mission of God in our lives because we're his kids. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not only made that happen, but can continually make that happen in us every day. Jesus is the beginning, he's the gospel, and he's the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, became the gospel so that all of us could have a new beginning. Let's pray. I titled my message A New Beginning because I just want us to have a new beginning. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If God says that his mercies are new every morning for us, then my faith in him and for him, my life for him can be new every single day for him as well. And so can I invite each one of us to begin again? But this time, begin right. Make it about Jesus Christ alone. Seek to discover who he is. And ask him today, reveal yourself to me so that I might be convinced that not only are you worthy enough for me to love with everything that I have, but also to live for with all that I have. That's a courageous prayer, but I want to invite you to do that. Begin your faith again, centered upon Christ alone. Let's pray.
I just want to give you one more minute. I'm convinced that there are some of us in this room whose faith is, is this mixture, this mixture of religious influences, and it's fine, and, and they're good influences. And probably, I, I doubt anything that we'll share with you is wrong in any way. But it's confusing because am I supposed to be like this? Am I supposed to be like that? Am I supposed to be more churchy, less churchy, more religiously like this, whatever, whatever. And I just want to cut through all the confusion and make your whole faith about Christ alone because it's only him who truly is the truth. And I want you to really have this faith that's really about Christ alone. All those other things are good, but they're secondary. And if you've never made your walk or your faith walk about Jesus alone, today's it. Start now. You'll never regret it. It'll only get better. Will you do that? Will you be courageous enough to do that? So let's just spend one more minute, talk to God, and let's make our faith about Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we thank you, God, that we could have this book in our hands. Because Christianity's become so, like, religious. It's, be it's become about going to church and doing your church responsibilities. It's about having your quiet time or praying the prayers we're supposed to pray about, attending the meetings we're supposed to attend. A lot of us Christians, we lost our awe, God. way we can get it back is if you reveal yourself to us. So God, we pray that we ask we ask for mercy. Have mercy upon us. God, so that the Christians in this room can once again be Christians who operate with all. People who are truly in love and who readily, proudly, immediately acknowledge how worthy Christ is with for everything and who love acknowledging that. Lord, we pray that you'll make us into a community of true worship, a community that truly is love, that loves you, that loves Christ. We pray that you'll systematically break all those other things that make 
Christianity dead. And God, that you'll renew us in a way that makes us all about Christ. And, uh, and you'll revive hearts here in this room that just want Jesus, that are continuing in awe of Jesus, that love Jesus, and that can't wait to be Jesus to this world. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.